0: Isn't that great? Wow, fantastic. Welcome to the Lord's House today. Uh, certainly glad that you're here for our second service. We had a pretty good first service, but I'm excited that uh, this one's even going to be better. Oh boy, that's weak. It's, it's going to be a great service, amen? It already has started out to be. And uh, man, I thank you for being here. Praise team did fantastic today. You notice that my beautiful bride, Angie, was not here. Uh, she is in South Carolina today. Uh, rumor has it that she's uh, trying out at a, a church there uh, to be worship leader at a church in South Carolina. Actually, she's there for her niece's uh, wedding. You pray uh, with me that Miss Angie makes it back home. Right? <laughs> Things are not the same when Mama is gone, and uh, boy, I need her back really quick. Well, just a, a brief explanation of of what we're going to do not only today but for the next four weeks. I just finished a sermon series on. Heaven, it was a six-week series, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I tell you, it was a blessing to me. Uh, I really enjoyed preaching on heaven and, and learning about heaven. I, I really can't imagine what heaven is going to be like, but I tell you, it is going to be beyond anything that I can fathom and imagine. It is a great place, and I want you to be there, all right? Uh, with me because I know I'm going there. Well, here's the problem. Uh, I really had originally planned to, to begin a new series on Mother's Day, which is "Next Sunday, ladies, come, next Sunday is your day. We will honor you here at Cavanaugh on May the 10th, next Sunday, Mother's Day. I was going to start a new series on the Book of Esther. Because that goes along with, with mothers, Esther, and, and man, it was, it was planned, it was working out. And then, uh, but then I had a problem this week, all right? There was a kind of a gap there between when I finished heaven and, and Mother's Day and the book of Esther. So I, I started praying and thinking, well, what can I preach a, a single sermon on? Uh, hell. I'll preach on hell. I've been preaching on heaven. so Why not preach a week on hell? y'all aren't following me here, are you? Well, I got to studying about hell, and then, you know, it t- took me from, from hell to the one who wants to take us to hell, and that's the devil. And I thought, you know what? We need to spend a little bit of time on the devil, so for the next four weeks, I am going to preach on our enemy, the devil. You say, well, preacher, no, no, next Sunday is Mother's Day. You can't, you can't preach on the devil and hell on Mother's Day. You just show up, all right? We're, it all fits together. All right? Mother's Day, the devil, hell, it all works together. all right. So, uh, so you be here for that. T- today we're going to start this series on the dark side and I want to talk about Satan's origin. There's a key verse that we're going to follow for the next four weeks. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Here is what Paul says in verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, I don't want the devil to take advantage of you. And dear church, I want you to be keenly aware of his devices, his schemes, and what he's up to. Heavenly Father, would you bless our time together in your house and in your word. Speak to every heart that is here. Challenge us to live for you and be all that we can in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name And for his sake, amen. A seminary professor was giving a final examination to his students in his theology class. He told them to write for 30 minutes on the identity of Jesus Christ. And then to spend the last half of the hour telling what they knew about the devil. Well, one of those students became so engrossed in the first part of the test that he forgot about his time. And when the hour had evaporated and was gone, he was still writing about Jesus. Before turning in his exam paper, he scribbled at the bottom of the page, I was so involved with Jesus Christ that I didn't have any time for the devil. And I really believe he had the right approach. There are some people, even church people and Christians, who develop an unhealthy preoccupation with the devil and with satanic themes and let me tell you it is unhealthy that is a dangerous tendency you don't want to cross that line because the devil will drag you over to the dark side but neither do we want to be ignorant of the devil and his devices therefore a brief series of sermons on Satan is important I believe for two reasons Number one, it is important because Satanism and demonology are major issues in our world today. There is a worldwide revival on Satanism, demonology, and the occult. Now, he wraps it up in a a pretty good-looking package and puts a pretty bow on it, so you may not see it for what it is, But there is a revival on Satanism, demonology, and the occult in our world today. We see it in in the headlines of the news every day. We see it in today's music and movies. It provides some of the themes for many of today's children's cartoons and toys. It is the cause of some of today's worst crimes and foulest murders. Number two, Satanism is a major subject in the Bible. Seven Old Testament books teach Satan's reality. Every writer in the New Testament affirms his existence. Jesus Christ referred to the devil frequently. And he is mentioned in 29 passages found in the Gospels. Paul warned us as a church that we should not be ignorant of his devices, so I would just like to share with you what the Bible says about the evil one, and hopefully we 'll give him a knockout punch uh, you didn 't have that last night on your TV, uh, neither did I, but anyway we 're going to man we 're going to give it to him today. L- let me begin by making four comments that are basic to this entire series, okay four things you need to know: number one, I personally believe that satan is a person he is not just a force or a symbol of evil the bible treats the devil as a person he thinks and he schemes and he devises evil plans he has emotions the devil makes choices he has a separate individual personality he is an actual individual a spirit being He is referred to as he, not it, in the Scripture. The devil is real. Number two, Satan is not the opposite of God. Sometimes we think of God and Satan as being exact opposites, but they are not. C.S. Lewis in the preface of his screw tape letters reminds us that Satan is the opposite not of God but of the archangel Michael. Church, listen to me. Our God, the God of heaven, is infinite. God is all-powerful, eternal. He is self-existent. He is far above all powers and rulers and authorities. On the other hand, Satan is limited. He is not all-powerful. He does not possess all knowledge. He cannot be everywhere present at the same time. The devil is not co-equal with God. He is created. He is not self-existent. Number three, you need to be aware of the fact that Satan is much more aware of you than you are of him. Satan is much more aware of you than you are of him, and he is behind most of the problems you face in life. Satan was the hidden enemy behind all the afflictions of Job, even though Job never knew it. When Peter denied Christ and fled from the cross, Satan was behind that motion. Jesus had already explained that Satan would sift Peter like wheat, and he did. The Apostle Paul often attributed most of his problems to the devil. For example, when political unrest kept him from preaching in Thessalonica, he said, I wanted to come to you, but Satan stopped me. When converts strayed away from the truth, he wrote a way to follow Satan. When he became sick, he called his illness a messenger of Satan. And when he won people to Christ, he did not call them converts. He said that they had turned from the power of Satan to God. Paul warned the Corinthians to maintain healthy sexual relationships in their marriages. Or else, he said, Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Church, you need to understand that Satan is much more aware of you... And what rings your bell, then you are. And he is behind many of the trials and temptations that we face in life. Are you getting the point? Satan is not your friend. Hmm? The fourth thing you need to be aware of is this. Satan can be resisted. Good news. Okay, you with me? Good news. Satan can be resisted on the basis of the victory that Jesus Christ had on Calvary's cross James said resist the devil and he'll flee from you that's pretty simple man all you have to do is resist all you have to do is say no all you have to do is claim the blood and the person of Jesus Christ and the devil will leave you alone too many of us go courting with the devil though we allow him into our private space and we listen to the temptations he brings our way. The Bible says, no, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians chapter 6 commands, put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I've told you this a dozen times, but just like I did for the first service, I'm going to tell you for the 13th time, all right? Every morning when I have my coffee and read my Bible and have my prayer time, one of the things I pray about is my family. I pray for my family, my immediate family, my wife and my kids. I name them by name, even the, the two that are living in Little Rock. I, I call my family. Now, why would, Jason, why would I do that? Well, it is because they are my responsibility. God, God has given this family to me. And Ronnie, if I don't pray for them... Who's going to pray for them? And so every day I pray for my family. I pray for specific things, but here's one thing I do. I call each of them by name, and I say, Lord Jesus, today, this very day, would you help every member of my family to put on the whole armor of God? Help us to put on that, that belt of truth. I pray that we would put on the shoes of the gospel of peace May we place on our chest the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, help us to wear the helmet of salvation, to take the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. And dear Lord, as Satan comes to my children, my wife, and myself, may we be able to stand. And having done all, Lord, help us to stand. Because I know he wants to destroy us. I pray, dear Lord, I pray that every member of my family would not only be a good person, Lord, help us to be godly people. My friend, you can resist the devil. You need to put on the armor of God and you need to live in his word and his truth, but you can resist those fiery darts he's hurling at your soul. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that Christ shared our humanity to die so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in his slavery. Jesus can set us free. Amen. Only Jesus can. And today, if he is holding you in slavery, today, if he has you bound by sin, Jesus has the key. He can free you today. You can resist the devil. You don't have to follow him to hell. The Christian has assured victory over Satan. Why? Because of Christ's victory on Calvary's cross. We can resist him. Peter says, be steadfast in the faith. You choose God. You live for Jesus. And don't give the devil the time of day. Hmm. Now, the question I would like to address this morning is this. Where did the devil come from? See, all that was my introduction. You're worried, aren't you? That was half of my sermon, though, right? I'm going to spend the second half of my sermon talking about the origin of the devil. Where did the devil come from? Well, short answer is this. Satan is a created being made by God at the beginning of time. Colossians 1.16 affirms, "...for by him all things were created." that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him, that is, through Jesus and for Him. And we know that God created all things good. Amen? He is not the creator or the author of sin or evil. So, at some point in time, Satan must have been a very good being who fell into sin of his own free will. There are two Old Testament passages of Scripture that that give us this clue. The first one is found in Ezekiel chapter 28. Now this passage is about an evil king in the ancient world. He is the king of Tyre. This evil city was destroyed and was never rebuilt. The first part of Ezekiel 28 is addressed to the king of Tyre. But then the second part seems to be addressed to this dark and sinister power of evil which lurked behind and motivated the king of Tyre. Conservative theologians, and I told the first service I like that word conservative, don't you? Conservative theologians believe that this is in reference to Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 28 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now assuming this passage describes the devil, which I believe that it does, he was the model for all other angels. The devil was absolutely perfect. He was beautiful beyond any other created being. And he was extremely smart because this verse says he was full of wisdom. Apparently, the devil was the greatest of God's created angels. Then verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So here is Satan in the presence of God. His beauty and his grandeur and splendor was greater than all of the beautiful jewels and plants on earth. Let me tell you, he was something. Okay. He was something. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. So this verse tells us Satan was originally an angel belonging to the kind of angels we call cherubim. A cherub is the highest of all the ranks and orders of angels. They were the guardians of God's holiness and of His holy throne. The cherub angels dwelt in the presence of God as the highest of all the angels, guarding the throne of God and obeying every command that God gave. Now, everything is pretty good up till now, isn't it? Here's this great angel created by God. He was a cherubim angel guarding the holiness and the throne of God. But look at verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Charles Ryrie in his basic theology states, this is really the only verse in the Bible that states exactly the origin of sin. Now if we had a little Bible exam this morning and I just asked you the question, Where did sin first appear? You would say Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden because that's what we believe, that's what we've been taught. But I will tell you that's not where sin began. Sin was manifested on earth in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Sin actually began in heaven with this angel. Suddenly, one day wickedness was found in this great angel. And you might be wondering, well, what was the nature of this wickedness? What kind of sin was found in him? It's there in verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. What was the devil's sin? Pride. Pride. Arrogance. Self-absorption. Augustine, the, the great Christian church early historian said this, Pride is the root sin. And by that he meant Pride is the root from which every other sin grows. And we see that's the truth here. Pride was the root sin. Now, I'd like to show you another passage which gives us a little more information about this pride that filled the heart of this great archangel. And my land, you're quiet. Are you okay? Are you, are, I'm not born, you, am I? All right, here we go to Isaiah chapter 14. This chapter is very similar to the one that we read in Ezekiel 28. In Isaiah 13 and 14, God is speaking against the king of Babylon. Okay, Ezekiel, he was speaking against the king of Tyre. Now in Isaiah 14, against the king of Babylon. And for a few verses, right in the middle of chapter 14, he seems again to direct his comments at this Sinister sinister, satanic figure that was lurking behind and again motivating the king of Babylon. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. This verse says that Lucifer, the star of the morning, the most beautiful angel in the galaxies, fell from heaven, was cast down to earth. Why? Verse 13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the fatherless sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Oh, boy. You know, as, as, I, as I read that and analyzed that, I, I, it, just, it just hit me. What the devil was doing was dethroning God out of his life and off of his heart. He was dethroning God and replacing himself himself on the throne of his heart, his life, and his universe. Well, things haven't changed much, have they? Because that is the temptation that you and I face every day, to take God off the throne of our life, to replace God with something else, usually our own life, our own desires, our own passions. As I read these passages, it, it, it became apparent to me there, there, there are a couple of key phrases that just keep reoccurring. The, the key phrase in the Ezekiel passage was, you were. Again, describing the devil, you were. Example, it says, you were the model of perfection. You were in Eden. You were anointed as guardian cherub. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless in all your ways. Let me tell you, the, de- the devil was the man. I mean he had it going on. He was all of these great things. He was fit. He was great. In contrast, the key phrase in the Isaiah passage is I will. Apparently showing that all that went to his head, <laughs> five times Lucifer says with defiance and determination, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. It's interesting how things don't change. (laughs) It's interesting to me that that is exactly the same way He tempted Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He said to them, listen guys, you will become like God. You will. So Lucifer, the model of perfection, the star of the morning, was created by God as the chief of all the other angels. He was apparently God's prime minister over all of heaven and earth. But he became infatuated with his pride. Envious of Almighty God. Wickedness was found in his heart and he rebelled against the throne of God and heaven. So you know what God did? Kicked him out, man. There's a verse in the New Testament that indicates as many as one-third of the angels of heaven rebelled against God with him. Revelation chapter 12 presents Satan as this enormous Red dragon who swept one-third of the stars of the skies and flung them down to earth. We believe that indicates that one-third of God's angels fell from heaven with the devil. And the Bible calls these fallen angels demons. And they do the bidding of their boss, the devil. And so in Genesis chapter 3, Satan appears in the Garden of Eden. He apparently enters into one of the bodies of one of the animals there, a serpent. And he spreads his venom, his rebellion against God into the human race. And guys, he has been ruling in the hearts and the minds of men and women ever since. The devil is not your friend. The devil is not your friend. Church, the devil is not your friend. And that brings me to the end of my message and and our lesson for the day. Our lesson for the day. I can sum it up in seven words. Satan wants to mess up your life. That doesn't sound very deep or very theological, but it's the truth. That's what Satan wants to do. He is on a mission to destroy your life. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to mess up your life. He wants to drug your soul and drag you into sin. He wants to so involve you in the things of this world that you forget about Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Wake up, church. That's what He's trying to do to you. Drag you into this world so that you become so involved in this world and the things of this world that you dethrone God. And replace it with the things of this world. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to drag you into hell. And your only victory, your only victory is in the one who gave the devil the KO himself. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus beat the devil at his own game. All of hell rejoiced the day of the crucifixion. But then Sunday came. (laughs) And Jesus beat the devil. He beat death, hell, and the grave. Your victory is in Jesus. The devil is not your friend. Jesus is your friend. So trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you would speak to our hearts, challenge us, dear Lord, to live for you. Lord, there may be someone in this room who has never accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would come, admit that they're sinners, Believe that Jesus can save them and confess the Lord Jesus as Lord of their life and receive salvation today. Lord, if there is a Christian here today that has, uh, they've kind of wandered from the truth and they've, they've walked away from you. They've, they've allowed the things of this world to so infiltrate their life that that fire is no longer there. And they look more like the world than they do Jesus. Lord, I pray that if that be the case, that dear Lord, I pray that my friends would come and renew their relationship with you today. Lord, everybody in this room has a friend or a family member that is outside of Jesus Christ. They're not saved. They're not living for the Lord. They're not coming to church. And the devil has his firm grip on them. Lord, may we be so concerned about that friend or family member this morning that we come to the altar and begin intervening for them. Praying that somehow, some way, Jesus would reach down and save them. That they would turn to you. Lord, others are here today and they've just got problems. The devil has so filled their life with difficulties and problems, they, they don't even know which way is up. May they come to the altar this morning and give their problems to you and receive your guidance, your wisdom, and your strength. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and to come for prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. praise team is going to sing. The altars are open if you would like to come and pray. Now's the time, would you?